It's um, almost Thanksgiving. And uh, so I, I like to get to know you all sometimes by, by ran, way of random questions. And so I want to take kind of an informal poll this morning, and I'd love for you to participate by raising your hands. And, uh, I'm going to name some of the kind of main food items of Thanksgiving. And, and if I name the one that you most look forward to, I'd love to know that by you just raising your hand. And so think about what it is about the Thanksgiving meal or whatever that looks like for you that you look forward to the most. And, and oh, and that, what's, what I noticed in first service is I saw some hands go up a second or third time. So I don't really know whether they forgot those parts of the meal or whether it just all sounded so delicious at 8.30 in the morning. Um, so we'll, we'll start with the obvious. We'll start with the big one, the turkey. Is anybody, the turkey's the main part. That's what matters. Okay. More than in first service. Turkey was not super popular in first service. Um, what about the, the stuffing or the dressing? See, that always gets plenty of hands. I'm uh, understandable. Um, what about the, the mashed potatoes and or gravy? So you guys get it. I had to tell first. That was like the biggest thing. For, I said, listen, guys, you can have mashed potatoes anytime. It's not that hard. Um, so I'm, I'm just not a big mashed potato fan myself. So that one, not, not as popular. What about, uh, this one's a little more specific to you, but I bet there's some of you that would fall into this category. Maybe there's something that someone specific in your family always makes and brings, and that one thing is what you look forward to, and it, it could be about anything. Anybody in that category where there's just that one thing that's got to be there that somebody always brings? And I had somebody come up to me after first service and say, you forgot sweet potato casserole, and I said, that's kind of what I meant by that one thing. Because that... typically the same person always makes the sweet potato casserole, if that's something you have at Thanksgiving. That's not something I have. Um, now, this one got a surprising amount of hands, so I'm curious here. Is it that first leftover turkey sandwich? Okay, there. Wow, okay. Whew, people love the leftovers. All right, you got to eat the meal first, though, or it's not leftovers. For me, it's absolutely positively there is no substitute for the jellied, jellied, not, no, no chunks, jellied cranberry sauce. That's right. If it does not retain the shape of the can, you didn't do it right, okay? <laughs> <laughs> it has to look like the can is still there, even though it's the jelly. I love cranberry sauce. I, I will just pop open a can and eat it if that's what it takes. I look at, I'm looking forward to Thanksgiving. Um, and, and, I, and I bring that up for no other reason but to just remind you that it's coming. And for a lot of people, what that means is there's some welcome or unwelcome family time coming up, depending on your situation. And so we thought that a, a series relating to family um, would probably be a good idea as we move through the month of November, as we approach Thanksgiving and the Christmas season and all of those kinds of things. And in order to focus on family, what we're going to do in this series is utilize an important section of New Testament scripture, important words of Jesus, in fact, uh, that are commonly referred to as the Beatitudes. And what Jesus does in Matthew chapter 5 is he shows us eight different characteristics of those who are blessed. And so what we're going to do is we're going to look at four of them as they can be applied to our homes and our families. Now, now understand this. I understand that families have all sorts of different makeups these days, and I want to make this as clear as possible up front that, that we're not necessarily pigeonholing family into one specific definition because we know even in a group of this size that family takes on all sorts of, uh, of forms, and that's fine. And some of it's blood and some of it's not, and that doesn't mean that it's not family. And, and so whatever that is for you... Um, we want to make it clear that this applies across the board. And so today what we're going to do is we're going to apply one of those beatitudes, one of those characteristics of those who are blessed to our families today. Now here's the truth. A lot of families, most even, look pretty blessed 
from the outside. We are a people who have gotten really good at putting on our blessed faces. We come into church and we smile and we look like the perfect little happy family and people ask how we're doing and some of us even say, I'm blessed. And, and we might mean it or we might not mean it or we might wish that that's actually how we felt. When the truth is we have problems and issues within our families that people probably wouldn't believe nor that we would necessarily want to tell them. And, and so that's why I believe this series is going to be important because we're going to look at some things we can focus on, some characteristics to try for in our own lives and as families and as, as couples and, and whatever that looks like for you. And if you're a person out there who's saying, I'm not really, like, I'm kind of just on my own. I don't really, I'm not really a part of a family right now. I'm out on my own. I don't, I'm not married. I don't have kids. I'm not really close to my parents. There really isn't much of a family to me. First of all, you're here, so you're a part of our family, and it might be dysfunctional, and we might be all a little crazy. I don't know. But you're part of our family because you're here with us. And secondly, everything that we're going to talk about throughout this series, I believe, for the most part, can be applied on the individual level as well. And so I want to begin today by asking what might sound like a weird and slightly intrusive question. And, and I, don't, I don't want to bring up bad feelings. And if you don't feel comfortable answering this by raising your hand, that's fine with me. But have any of you ever been robbed? Have any of you ever been robbed? You know, it's not something we necessarily look back on fondly when it happens. And I can tell you that, that I'm very blessed to have, have not experienced something like that. But I remember being a kid and one of my neighbor's homes was, was broken into and they, they stole some things. And I don't think it was necessarily something my parents wanted me to know, but of course, word gets around and I found out. And um, I was right in that fifth, sixth grade range where um, I got off the bus before my sister did. She was up a school and my mom usually got home from work about an hour after I got home. And so I was right in that age range where my parents decided he could stay home for a little while by himself. His sister will get there and then I'll get there and he won't be that long. Don't use the oven. Don't do anything stupid. You know, that kind of thing. And after this happened, I got to the point where there were several days where I was so convinced that someone was going to break into my house while I was waiting for, for my mom to come home that I would lie. I'm not going, to, not going to beat around the bush here. I lied. And I would fake that I had forgotten my house key and would go across the street to my elderly neighbor lady's house and I would go in and I would say, you know, I forgot my key. Can I sit in here? It's kind of cold outside. And I would watch TV with my elderly neighbor lady rather than go into my house by myself. It, it freaked me out. To this day, if we go away for more than a few days, I, I will come home and I, I usually walk through every part of the house. I, I go down to the basement even if I don't need to, just, just so I can have seen it without someone there. You know, it, and it, I know it sounds fair. Some of you guys may do that, and that, there's nothing wrong with that. But, but we, we want to feel like we're protected. We want to feel like we're safe. You know, how many of you keep something near the nightstand that can be used as a weapon in the event that you need it? Most of you probably have something you can reach. Golf club. Okay, it's light enough that it's not really in my way sitting there, but stout enough that I could handle something if I needed to. Let's be real. If something happens, I'm probably hiding under the bed. But it's there just in case. And I absolutely have grabbed it and walked through the house when I hear a weird noise. We like to feel safe. And the truth is what's interesting in our culture today is when it comes to our families, when it comes to kids especially, we are applauded for protecting them physically. I mean, we put the helmet and the elbow pads and the knee pads on and we send them out to check the mail. You know, we're, we're applauded for protecting them physically. And yet in the, that same culture that applauds that, when we try to protect their hearts and protect their morals, 
were pointed out as overprotective parents or even made fun of for, for not letting more things go. It just doesn't add up for me. But if you look at God's word, what you'll find is that we're called to protect them both physically and morally. We're called to protect their physical selves, but we're also called to protect the purity of their hearts. Jesus said it this way in John chapter 10, verse 10. So the thief's purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. My purpose is to give them a rich and satisfying life. Jesus came to save, he came to give life, but there's a thief whose purpose is to steal and kill and destroy. And if at any point we think that there's no spiritual enemy, we'll find ourselves particularly susceptible to him. And Satan wants nothing more than to destroy the purity of our hearts. That would really make his job a lot easier. And so today's beatitude is found in Matthew 5, just like they all are, but this is verse 8. And Jesus says these words, God blesses those whose hearts are pure, for they will see God. And what I want to focus on this morning is that God blesses those whose hearts are pure. The word heart there in the original language is the Greek word uh, cardio, which should sound familiar to you. And uh, while Jesus uses that word, what what he was doing was he he was not saying, blessed are those whose um, organ that pumps blood is pure. He was using it as a metaphor for our attitudes and our motives and our thoughts toward other people for that which is inside of us. I think you understand his metaphor. And so we want to talk about our hearts today and understand that they are the most important thing that we can focus on. Because it's common for us to believe of, of ourselves and of other people today that there is such a thing as a good heart. And we'll use that, right? Even as a compliment, we'll say, well, he's got a good heart. She's not perfect, but she's got a good heart. And they've had some struggles, but they've got a good heart. And we say, well, that, that's really what matters, right? They've got a good heart, and it sounds really good. You know, young lady's dating a, dating a guy, and she says, well, he's not a Christian, but he's got a good heart. And, and the parents are supposed to be okay with that, because at least he's got a good heart. And we use that as, as some justification, right? We say, well, it's okay, because they have a good heart. And we act like a good heart is good enough. And while it may be a common saying, it's simply not true of any of us. You see, here's what we need to understand. Without Christ, there is no such thing as a pure heart. Without Jesus in the mix, there is no such thing as a pure heart. There is a limit to what we can do on our own. There's a limit to the purity that we can reach. Without Christ, there's no such thing as a pure heart. Jeremiah chapter 17 speaks volumes about the heart. Verses 9 and 10. The human heart is the most deceitful of all things and desperately wicked. Who really knows how bad it is? But I, the Lord, search all hearts and examine secret motives. I give all people their due rewards according to what their actions deserve. You see, sometimes we give ourselves too much credit or let ourselves off the hook and say, well, you're a good heart. That's good enough. But the truth is the human heart is the most deceitful of all things. That good heart thing, it's just to make us feel better most of the time, isn't it? In Ephesians 4, Paul talks about the Gentiles, uh, a group of them who had drifted away from their faith. Here's how he described what they did in verses 18 and 19. So their minds are full of darkness. They wander far from the life God gives because they've closed their minds and hardened their hearts against Him. They have no sense of shame. They live for lustful pleasure and eagerly practice every kind of impurity. You see, the heart is key here. And a hard heart isn't open to God. The idea there that their minds are full of darkness, uh, there are other versions of Scripture that, that say that part this way. They say they've darkened in their understanding. 
They've darkened in their understanding. The idea there is that as their hearts hardened, their minds darkened, and the darkness in them overcame the light that once filled them. If you've been to a, a movie theater anytime lately, if by the time you walk, now maybe you're just a really on-time person and go you and you're never late for a movie, but if you walk into the movie theater after they turn the lights down, it can be a little bit of a shock to your system because immediately you're disoriented. Unless you frequent this particular theater, you're not 100% for sure you're percent sure where everything is and the lights aren't always that great that kind of guides you on the stairs. And so you need a moment to adjust to the darkness. But eventually, you know, once you get, you don't have to worry about spilling that popcorn that cost you half of last week's paycheck because your eyes adjust. Your eyes adjust and suddenly you can see just fine. And I think it's possible that in a lot of our homes, in a lot of our families, in a lot of our lives, that, that what we've done is we've separated ourselves from the life that God wants for us by allowing darkness to come in a little bit. We've allowed impurity into our families, and like the darkness in the theater, over time we've kind of gotten used to it to the point that we're comfortable in the darkness. You can probably walk through your house in the dark. It's because you're comfortable in that setting. The truth is we, we allow these impurities, we allow these things into our lives, and, and they're there and we don't even acknowledge them or think about them, and before too long we become very comfortable with the fact that they're a part of our lives and we can see just fine. Now hear me clearly here. I'm, I'm not suggesting that we don't want to protect our families from these impurities, from these things that hurt, that damage. We, we love them. We want to protect them. We want to guard our marriages and, and protect the next generation. And so, so we would never give our kids a bottle of poison and say, take a drink. We would never send our kids swimming with sharks. We would never do something that extreme. But we do let impurities creep in. We do let things creep in that are not of God. And we allow evil in where evil once was. If your home has no evil, my guess is you have no television, no internet, no devices of any kind, and you pretty much keep to yourself with the doors shut. And even then, I find it hard to believe because those things creep in. And we don't even realize it. And we sometimes wonder why our homes and why our families just don't seem to be as blessed as they once were or as blessed as we want them to be. And it might be because we've allowed impurity and evil into our homes and we don't even realize or acknowledge it. You see, if someone is pure in heart because of Jesus, and remember that's, that's the only way it's possible, it is because of Jesus. If, if our homes are going to be pure in heart, that's going to require some things about us to be different than those who are far from Christ. And we're going to hit this point throughout the series and I want to present it right here. If we, if we walk away from this series with nothing else, we should walk away with this goal that we don't want to just be a Christian family. That we want to be a Christ-centered family. And those may not sound that different. But here's what I mean. It doesn't actually mean very much today to say we're a Christian family. Despite everything you see happening around you in the world and everything that's going on, uh, it's still very likely that, that if you ask the average person, are you a, are you a Christian family? Are you guys Christians? That, that people just say, well, sure. And there's not a lot behind that, but they'll say, sure, why not? But I would say a large percentage of families who would say, yeah, we're, we're Christian families, aren't necessarily Christ-centered. Jesus may be on the fringes of their family. He may even be in the house. They may own a Bible and even go to church. But there's a difference between that and saying and living in such a way that you say Jesus is first in every way for our family. 
He's truly central. He's not just a part of who we are. He's the basis for who we are and how we live. Nothing comes before God in this house. And if we want the blessings of God, if we want to be blessed as these Beatitudes say, we need to figure out what it is that we need to do. We need to figure out what it looks like to pursue purity in our lives and in our families. And it's pretty clearly mapped out for us in Psalm chapter 119, verse 9, where it says this, How can a young person stay pure? By obeying your word. You see, it sounds like a very simple answer to a very simple question. And, and, and the fact that a young person would ask it in this situation, maybe some of you could speak to that and say, listen, the sooner you figure out some of these things in life, the better your life's going to be. The sooner you figure out you need to follow God, the better off you're going to be. It, it falls right in line with the sooner you figure, figure out you better put some money away for retirement, the better off you're going to be. The sooner you figure out you save for your kid's college education, the better off you're going to be. And you would say, how can a young person stay pure? By starting where they are as a young person and obeying the word of God. The problem is, a good chunk of our world would say, just follow your heart. It'll lead you where you need to go. You've got a good heart, so just follow it and right back to the good heart again. And no offense to you if you've ever given that advice, because I probably have as well. But your heart is deceitful, remember? All of ours are. Only God can make a heart pure. So if you follow your heart, it's possible that it'll lead you to the wrong place. If you follow your heart, it's possible that it could lead you to sin. But if we obey the Word of God, if we live according to His Word, we won't be perfect, but we'll be on the right path. Psalm 119, verses 10 and 11 says this, I have tried hard to find you. Don't let me wander from your commands. I've hidden your Word in my heart that I might not sin against you. As families, we need not to follow our hearts. We need to follow His Word and put that Word in our hearts, build our foundation on that word. That's where it begins. That's the foundation. That's at the center. God at the center. Christ at the center. And God's word as that strong foundation. If, if, if the foundation of our family is the desires of our deceitful hearts, things are going to get messy. And yet so many of us build our lives on those desires. Now it's possible that those of you that that are kind of on your own right now, that aren't married or don't have kids or aren't planning to anytime soon, or you, you're not really in the whole family situation right now, that you're doing that thing that I've done when I felt like a sermon maybe didn't necessarily apply to me, where you kind of kick back and say, sock it to him, preacher, because this doesn't apply to me. I remember, you know, even being in college, like not, not being married yet, and if, if I ended up at a, listening to a sermon about marriage, I'd be like, oh, this doesn't apply to me. I guess I get a nap today. And uh, I never actually left, but I probably thought about it. I'll admit that. But the truth is, what happens is, is sometimes people who aren't in these situations yet, who aren't married yet, who don't have kids yet, think, well, this doesn't really apply to me. I can figure this out when that time comes. If that time comes, I can just get it right then. And if that's you today, just, just hear me clearly for just a second. What you do today matters. What you decide today matters. How you live today matters. And the truth is, you don't build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. You can try. But you can't build a life of righteousness on a foundation of sin. It will fall apart. Now, 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 hear me clearly. Can someone come to Jesus after a life of sin? Absolutely. Can someone come to Jesus later in life? Absolutely. But if you know him now and are consciously deciding to wait to get your life right with him until later, I'd say you're in dangerous territory at that point. 
And you absolutely in that situation are trying to, to eventually build a life of righteousness on top of the foundation of sin, and it won't work. You see, if you want the kind of family, if you want the kind of life that we're talking about today, a blessed life with God, somewhere in the future, you have to plant the seeds of righteous living now. You have to, to build that foundation on God's word now. You can't say, I understand that this is important. I'm going to hold it off for 10 years. You don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 years. You don't know what's going to happen in the next 10 minutes or the next 10 seconds. And so I want to share with you today three thoughts, three things that might point us in the right direction here. There, there is no set formula for making sure that your home is pure and making sure that your home is blessed. But there are some things that we need to do that a lot of us haven't done. Because I think you can acknowledge that a lot of us in our homes, our eyes have grown accustomed to some darkness. That if we admit it, there's darkness there, we just don't acknowledge it. That our hearts maybe have become a little bit hardened, and we don't necessarily see the ways that impurities have creeped in, but there they are. And so the question becomes, if we want to fix that, how can we go against the flow of culture and, and not just be a Christian home and not just be people that go to church, but actually be a Christ-centered home and a Christ-centered family? And, and here's the thing. This has to be intentional. Okay? This has to be intentional. This does not happen by accident. You don't get married and have kids and 20 years later go, well, would you look at that? They're holy. <laughs> we are just so lucky. It doesn't happen, okay? If it does, I would like to meet your family. It's only possible if we're intentional about it. We say, this is important to us. And so three thoughts. The first one is this, and this one's very personal. You got to get your own heart right. I, um, when I was in college, I did a, a weekend ministry out at a country church, and, and I had a great group of teenagers, love these kids to death. Some of, the, some of the best quotes I have from teenagers come from these kids, but I was in college, and I thought I needed to sound cool, and so I once used a point like this, getting your own heart right. I, I told them that they needed to, I said, you need to check yourself before you wreck yourself, and I thought I sounded cool. I know that's like from the 80s or something. They didn't think it was cool. And so every time I think about getting your own heart, I think, listen, we need to look at our own selves first before we try to fix somebody else. And so when it comes to family, we need to make sure that as a member of a family, whatever that looks like for you, that, that our heart is right first. Because I don't care if you're 16 or 65, whatever your role in the family is, the way that you function, the way that you speak and act and live helps set the tone with the people around you. You may not be the leader of the family, but you have influence. I guarantee it. And if purity matters to us, if righteousness matters to us, then it's going to affect the people around us. Proverbs 4.23 is one of the most important passages of Scripture about the heart. It says this, guard your heart above all else as it determines the course of your life. As a member of the family, what, is, what goes into your heart and what comes out of your heart will have an effect on the rest of the family, whether you're the leader of the family or not. Solomon was not messing around when he gave that advice. That's how important the heart is. And so what do we allow into our hearts? Because it's not just coming into our hearts, it's coming into our families. What, what, what comes out of our hearts? Because it's not just coming out, it's affecting our families. And if you're not sure, a lot of people would say, well, you can just let your conscience be your guide. You'll know what to do. You'll know what's right. Which is sound advice if God's word is your conscience. And some people are, are that invested in the Word of God. But the truth is our conscience can be skewed. It can get messed up. 
And so it comes back to God's word. It comes back to God as the guide for what we allow into our hearts and our lives. And a lot of us don't use God's word as the guide. We prefer the TV guide, right? We, we, whatever sounds good, whatever sounds entertaining. Sometimes we allow things into our home on screens or devices or other ways, and we justify it by saying that it's funny or it's entertaining, so it must be okay. And, and we, I, we are all absolutely guilty of this. But we convince ourselves it's okay because it made me laugh. Or it only had this, so many you know, cuss words in it that I wouldn't want my kids to hear, but I can handle it. My guess is almost all of us struggle with this. I know I do. There are shows that I enjoy, movies that I've enjoyed, that, that probably brought more darkness into my life than light. We have to be willing to admit that that's the case, or we'll always justify it. We have to do better. We do the same things with conversations that we're willing to have, with words that we say, sometimes with relationships, with thoughts even, where we say, we have these conversations, we have these thoughts, or we're in these relationships, and they're not godly in nature. In fact, they're nowhere near righteous, but, but they're just a part of who we are, and it's okay because it doesn't really affect me. I can handle it. We have to be willing to say, God, Help me get my heart right first. Help me acknowledge the darkness that is actually there. The second one is this, and this one really is just for parents, but I think you'll get the principle even if you're not a parent yet or or aren't, aren't planning on it, and that's this, parent to the heart. Parent to the heart. Now, that might be a weird phrase. Let me explain. Most of us parent to the actions. Most of us want behavior and we react to misbehavior. We parent to the actions, but we sometimes forget that there should be focus on the heart. We, we want our kids to know the right things to do and follow through when what we should be more focused on is helping them keep their heart in the right place and keep it pure. 1 Samuel chapter 16, verse 7. Samuel is looking at, uh, at all the sons uh, of Jesse that, that, that might possibly be the next king of Israel. And, and here's what we read. But the Lord said to Samuel, don't judge by his appearance or height for I have rejected him. The Lord doesn't see things the way you see them. People judge by outward appearance, but the Lord looks at the heart. See, this heart keeps coming up because it matters most. It matters. And we sometimes ignore it in favor of outward appearance. Or Even with our kids, we, you know, we, wanna, we want it to look like we have it all together. And so even though it was chaos at home this morning, by the time you get to church, you walk in like the perfect little family because that's the way you're, you're supposed to look. Listen, Jesus said to the Pharisees in his day in Matthew chapter 23, verse 25, he said, what sorrow awaits you teachers of religious law and you Pharisees, hypocrites. For you are so careful to clean the outside of the cup and the dish, but inside you are filthy, full of greed and self-indulgence. You can make your family look like the most blessed family in the world, but if there are struggles, you need to acknowledge it. And so when we're parenting, as we raise our children, we don't want to just settle for outward submission from our children, for behavior, when inside there's probably still rebellion. See, if you have, if you have more than one kid or you had more than one kid, you've done this. One kid wrongs another kid, right? I don't know what it is. Uh, and we say, go apologize, right? We say, go say you're sorry. And the offending kid stomps over and says, I'm sorry you're such a big baby, Right? <laughs> You don't just say, I'm sorry. You say, I'm sorry you're such a big baby. Or I'm sorry you tattled. Or I'm sorry, whatever. You know, it, it, here's my question. You told them to say they're sorry. Did they do it? Yes. But is their heart right? No. See, that's parenting to actions. And I, I think I do something in that realm every day, probably at least once an hour, if not more. 
but we need to love them for a right heart. And so we still parent the actions. They still need to apologize, but we also find a way to help them understand why the apology is important and why it needs to be sincere. And so we parent toward the heart because the heart really matters. Right actions come out of a right heart. Now, this is hugely difficult. But if we could make this work, it would change our families. I believe that. A lot of kids who leave home at 18 or or whenever they leave home, it it seems like a lot of them rebel. It seems like a lot of them rebel. And part of that reason, I think, part of the reason that happens is because they've been conforming outwardly. To, To a certain point, they've obeyed their parents. But inside, their hearts wanted to do their own thing. And so when you take the parents out of the equation, it's a lot easier to rebel. And the true identity of their heart comes out more strongly. Trust me when I say I am in no way judging any of your parenting any stronger than I'm judging my own. But it's important that we realize and acknowledge our shortcomings and the limit to the effectiveness of the way that a lot of us parent. If you can tell me today, I always parent to the heart. I want to sit at your feet and learn. Because it's so difficult. It is so much more in our nature to react to behavior and to to react to misbehavior and not to worry as much about the heart, but it's the better way and it's what matters. And so we need to get our own hearts right. We need to parent to the hearts for the best of those in our family, for our kids. And then the third one is this. We need to pursue perfect purity of the heart. We need to pursue perfect purity of the heart. Now that sounds intense, but hang with me. I say pursue because it's something we need to shoot for. We can't achieve perfection in anything really on our own, but only with the help of the power of God. So that makes this something to pursue. And then perfect purity. It seems like we're raising the bar impossibly high. But the truth is, anything less than perfect purity is not purity. And so perfect purity is what we need to shoot for. Even if we know we can't get there. Ephesians chapter 5, verse 3 says this, But among you there must not be even a hint of sexual immorality or of any kind of impurity or of greed, because these are improper for God's holy people. It sounds impossible, but it doesn't mean it's not still the goal. It doesn't mean it's not worth pursuing. Because even though a hint of sexual immorality, a hint of greed, a hint of any kind of impurity seems harmless, it's not worth it. How many of you enjoy a cup of coffee uh, here at New Life on a Sunday morning? You grab a cup of coffee on the way in. Cool. I'm glad. Um, I do too. I have not gotten a cup of coffee yet today, and I could really use one. Hint to my wife who's standing in the back. Um, Just kidding. Um, Let's say that one Sunday morning I decided I want to be a really good guy. I'm going to stand by the coffee and I'm going to prepare. Each of you that would like a cup of coffee, you tell me what you want. You know, if you go, you know, two creams and 17 sugars, I don't know if you didn't get enough sleep last night or what. I'm going to make it exactly how you want it. You guys are like, hey, this is is good service here. And and so I, I make your coffee and it's perfect. I say, I've got your coffee. It's just how you want it. Only thing is there's just a tiny bit of poison in it. How many of you would drink the coffee? Of course not, because there's just a tiny bit of poison in it. That makes the whole cup worth being thrown away. But the truth is, in our families, in our lives, in our homes, we let a little bit of poison in all the time. We just don't think of it that way. See, here's the bottom line. When we set standards, when we set goals for our family, it's not about reaching those goals. It's not about meeting that standard. It's not about behavior modification. It needs to be about the heart. You see, the goal isn't really for our kids to always use clean language. That would be nice. But that, that's not the goal. The goal isn't really for all of our kids to have healthy relationships. It would be good, but that's not the goal. The goal isn't really for all our kids to save the sexual relationship for marriage. 
great, but not the goal. Those are all good things, but the goal is much higher. If you shoot low, you'll hit low. But if you shoot high, even if you don't hit your target, you're going to hit a lot higher than if you shot low. The true goal needs to be perfect purity. The true goal is unreachable on our own, but it doesn't mean it's not the goal. But I'm going to let you in on a secret if you have kids or might have kids someday. They're going to mess up, just like you still do. They're going to sin, just like we all do. They're going to struggle, just like we all do. But if our aim is perfect purity and they grow up in a truly Christ-centered home, I believe that they'll be that much better off than if we just hope it works out. And I believe that because I believe God will bless that effort on your part. I believe that God will go to work in that decision that you make to build a Christ-centered home. And your desire to have a Christ-centered home won't always stay on track, but that desire, that goal, that drive is worth it. It's what we're called to, and again, I believe that God will work in that, that God will bless that. And the truth is you can start that anytime. You can make that decision to do that anytime. Some of you might say, I've already messed this up and my heart's a wreck and my kids' hearts are a mess and it's just too late and there's no saving this. To that I'd say you're sitting here breathing so it's not too late for that. And I love what God says is recorded in Ezekiel chapter 36, verse 26. He says this, And I will give you a new heart and I will put a new spirit in you. I will take out your stony, stubborn heart and give you a tender responsive heart. You see, I believe that no one is too far gone, that no heart is too far gone, because God is the one who makes the change. And for the same reason, I believe that no family is too far gone, because God is the one that makes the change, and there is no limit to his power. So if you care about your heart and the hearts of your family, pursue God and let him go to work. You don't have to do it on your own, but you do have to try. Shoot for the crazy standard of purity and know that even though we can't achieve it on our own, we can do whatever needs to happen because of Jesus and what God did for us in sending him to this earth to deal with our own sins and shortcomings. That The power of God is unstoppable. And so even though we can't do it on our own, we're not on our own. Because of what God did for us, our deceitful hearts can be made whole and pure again. So we need to shoot for that crazy standard in our families and trust God with the rest. And I think we'll see that he blesses us. Let's pray. God, I pray that we would recognize our own limitations. I pray that we would realize there are things we simply can't do on our own. God, I pray that we're thankful for that because it shows us how much we need you. God, in, in whatever it is, what we're talking about today or, or any, any situation where we're challenged, I pray we wouldn't wait to turn to you. That you wouldn't be our last resort. But in, in the good and the bad and everything in between, that you'd be the one we rely on. God, truly having a Christ-centered home seems like a pipe dream. It seems impossible. It seems like something you might only be able to, to see on TV because it, it's manufactured and fake. But God, we believe that with you in our corner, you can help us to, to have homes and, and lives that are truly centered 
on Christ. God, as we move into this time of communion, I pray that our focus would be on the cross, what it means for us. That what you did for us would, would be what drives us to serve you better, to do what you've called us to do, to live how you've called us to live. God, help us to focus during this time. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.